0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down,
1: oh, break it down. Like Matt Cutter. Yeah.
0: All right. Welcome to the podcast, Downers. My name is Matt, and we are back again. Uh, my guest today is quite interesting. I'm very excited to talk to him. His name is Tovar Ceruli. Uh, Tovar is a vegan turned hunter. He grew up in the New England, spent some time in the city, uh, has been a carpenter and been in the logging industry, uh, became a vegetarian, then a vegan for t- is it 10 years you were a vegan? Yeah, about 10 years. About 10 years it was a vegan and then now is a hunter. And so there's tons of questions in there that I'm excited to talk about. The ethics of, of both of those, uh, the way that people see these highly polarized topics like hunting and veganism Uh, and a lot of that runs into stuff where you know I grew up in the woods around hunting and hunters and stuff like that and then have spent uh, my adult life very urban and around a lot of vegans and in music and touring where there's tons of vegan and straight edge people so I'm familiar with these topics uh, and still have a lot of you know dilemmas and questions about them myself and I'm excited to talk to Tovar thank you for joining us you're in uh, Vermont is that correct? That's right. That's, That's right. Great. Glad, to be, glad to be with you. Well, thank you for joining us on the East Coast, time zone-wise, and uh, I'm glad to have you here. So you, you grew up in the woods, but not around hunting and that kind of thing, right? Oh, you right. weren't a hunter had, growing up.
2: I had one uncle who hunted, but he didn't live locally. I grew up with fishing and, and that kind of thing,
0: mm-hmm. but yeah, hunting really wasn't part of my upbringing at all. So I'm curious, how did, how did you get into, ve- like, getting into vegetarian and veganism... From my experience, is usually attached to either a parenting thing, or it's attached to some kind of social movement. And from where, I, where I'm from, in music and touring world, uh, there's there's a movement. It's the straight edge uh, vegans, and they're they're really wrapped up in uh, in the music, hardcore and heavy music. There's tons and mm-hmm. tons of vegans and vegetarians in that world. I know a, a whole mm-hmm. lot, and spend a lot of time around them in my years on the road. So, mm-hmm. how about for you? How did you get into vegetarianism, and then? ultimately veganism in the first place?
2: Yeah, I I was, uh, I was 20. And I was, you know, as many of us do at that age, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about who do I want to be? What kind of person am I going to be? What's my life going to be like? Um, And I was doing a lot of reading, I was studying a bit of Buddhism. uh, And I had actually just come back from a retreat that I'd done that the first time and maybe the last time I ever did a, you know, a Buddhist sort of retreat mm-hmm. and uh, was thinking about compassion and kindness and, and all this. And I went fishing a- out of habit, uh, which I you know, had, had done for many, many years. And in the act of killing a fish, I had caught a fish and, and in the act of killing it, I really felt regret. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't need to kill that particular fish. And I could have eaten something else. I could have eaten, you know, rice and vegetables and tofu or whatever else, you know. Uh, and that was the turning point for me. Uh, and that's actually how I opened my book, The Mindful Carnivore. I, I start with with that scene because that's really where I uh, where I turned toward vegetarianism. And so initially it was an animal welfare and, and ethics decision. Um, over time, you know, all of the other sorts of reasons that we uh, become vegetarian uh, came into play as well. You know, environmental arguments for it, uh, mm-hmm. health arguments for it. Um, and it doesn't take too long meditating on those things and reading about those things to say, you know, I'm, if I'm not eating meat, why am I eating eggs and, mm-hmm. you know, cheese and whatever else, you know, that's, other sorts of animal products.
0: That's partly why I'm nervous to talk about, like, you, you know, I love to think, Thinky things where you think and explore things and do thought experiments, but I, I'm afraid sometimes to do ethical stuff there because I'm afraid it'll make me want to, you know, I'm afraid if I dive <laughs> too far into ethics, it'll change my lifestyle so much and vegan and sure. vegetarians. <laughs> one of those areas I kind of sure. am afraid to explore because I don't want to go there, you know, I just don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, I, yeah, i I was, I did do vegetarianism though. Um, Want. We were doing something with my band and we started he- helping. We, we did something with PETA at some point where we, mm-hmm. we thought there was a guy that we met that worked for PETA and we thought he was a great guy and the compassion message rang really true with us. Mm-hmm. And we told him mm-hmm. we're not vegetarians, but we're interested in the way that... The, the, some of these ethics that you have. And so I did four months of being vegetarian just out of just to try to mm-hmm. get a vibe from that. Uh, and I really did enjoy it. It changed the way I looked at food a, a ton. like, uh, and, mm-hmm. I, and I recommend people changing a lot of stuff they do just to experience other things. And I, I learned a lot mm-hmm. and I, there's foods, there's so many foods that I ate during that time that I never ate before that I still eat today. So I at mm-hmm. least would say that's a big takeaway, but I didn't get sucked all the way down the vortex <laughs> of that, but, um, did you have a community or people that like it's it's interesting that you discovered it almost on your own, like in searching for truth or a personal mm-hmm. ethic or something like that? You weren't wrapped mm-hmm. up with a, a community or other people or friends that were doing
2: it. Um I mean, not really. I mean, growing up, I knew some vegetarians, um, but I didn't have a lot of friends who were who were into that. Um, I did have some for sure. I you know in high school i had I had friends who were vegetarian. Um, <clears throat> my girlfriend and her family. Uh, were vegetarian Mm -hmm. uh, late, late in my high school years. And um, so, yeah, I knew people, but it wasn't a, you know, a solid sort of close knit community. Uh, Later when I did live, you know, just a couple years after that, I was spending time living in in New York City and, you know, in a liberal arts school. And,
0: you know, so there was certainly much more of that. Absolutely. The other thing interesting about it is it's such a, I mean, it's such a, it, it almost the things you just said there was the the environmental and the health stuff came after, which is it's a little bit weird to look at it because I don't know if that's you'd almost say that's like a a, a confirmation bias, like you decided something and then right. all the evidence you found after that oh, sure. supported it. <laughs> so it wasn't right. like you weighed all the stuff, like you emotionally knew on some level I'm gonna do this, and then every piece of data you found after that just backed it up. Right. I mean, and we as humans are really good at that, right? Yeah. I mean- <laughs> You know,
2: totally selective data or selective data interpretation mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and to rationalize what we're already doing right we're really good at that
0: yeah i've been talking about that a lot lately and thinking about it because it just i'm a i'm a relatively or very analytical and rational person and i say that a little bit bragging there are things about regular humans that are less analytical that i think i miss out on emotionally but i'm not a very <laughs> emotional guy and so to me from my point of view humans are completely like, like I look at other people and think they're just emotionally deciding everything and then justifying it. I don't find people primarily rational. I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, most people think of people as rational and then sometimes they're emotional, but I don't think so. I think almost every time you buy a car or a house or decide who you're going to date or marry, this is not a logical thing. The logic always follows to support the thing you just really mm-hmm. wanted to do. And yeah. so I mean, like, it,
2: it varies, you know, from personality to personality mm-hmm. and probably somewhat from culture to culture, sort of how we make decisions and how we process things. But, um, yeah, I mean, our, our values and our emotions are powerful mm-hmm. and, you know, our, our logical mind sometimes is, uh, you know, playing second fiddle, <laughs> playing second
0: fiddle. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. And so you were, you were in that lifestyle, I guess you could say for about 10 years and then, um, how, I mean, how did it how did it happen that you got out of that and then swung so far as to become a hunter?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's often the perception, you know, like that it's a, it's this extreme pendulum mm-hmm. swing. And in a way, it is, but in a way, it's not. I mean, that, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. I I know a surprising number. I've met a surprising number of ex vegetarians or ex vegans who then become hunters or mm-hmm. or start ra- or start raising their own animals if they're Uh, you know, to to be directly involved Mm -hmm. uh, in that. Um, But for me, the transition had a couple of steps to it. Um, One was that I started to recognize through reading and again, you know, sort of education and and observation that my diet as a vegetarian and as a vegan um, was connected to all kinds of impacts ecologically and ethically that I hadn't ever contemplated before. You know, mm-hmm. I I wasn't directly eating uh, animals or any animal products, but uh, <clears throat> first it was, I started to read about uh, deer in America. Mm-hmm. There's a fantastic book called Heart and Blood by a guy named Richard Nelson, who lives up in Alaska. And he talks about the Uh, interactions that we as humans have with deer across the North American continent. Uh, And a significant number of those are agricultural. You know, you have millions and millions of deer and they eat a lot of agricultural crops and almost no matter what you eat, anything practically that you eat that is grown here in North America, um, there's a really high likelihood that uh, farmers are... Killing or otherwise controlling, usually it's usually it's uh, lethal control. Yeah. you know, killing deer to protect those crops. To get your tofu. Exactly. Right. And they love soy. You know, but, deer are very fond of soybeans. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so I'm sure um, they like corn and soy, all the stuff we exactly, grow, and then you, know, you got to kill right. the deer or run I mean, them off, or they get caught in the threshers or something. You know, the combines are probably. I don't well, know. well,
2: that's you know that's it. industrial, mm-hmm. you know, industrial scale agriculture certainly takes a lot of other smaller animals with it all the time too, you know,
0: all the way down to bugs, I guess, if you want to get go there.
2: Oh, exactly. All the way down to insects. So I started to realize that Mm -hmm. direct impacts on deer and all kinds of other critters. Um, I started to realize too, just the sheer scale of, you know, what we very euphemistically call, you know, habitat conversion, (laughs) Or, or, you know, land conversion. We take pretty sound, you know, wildlife habitat, and then we turn it into a field. Mm-hmm. And there might still be wildlife living there, but it's not what it was. You know, it's, and we've done this on a massive scale across the continent, of course, historically. And we're still doing it to some degree. Uh, but I still had a sense that, well, if I get local food, you know, local organic food from the farmer down the road or whatever... We grow our own. That's not having that kind of impact, you know. Mm-hmm. It's this these big industrial farms. in this thing, you know. Yeah. And then I and then I realized that three miles down the road at the little organic farm where my wife and I would pick organic strawberries or, you know, buy salad greens from the co-op or whatever. Uh huh. When there's crop damage, you know, that farmer is calling a friend and they're shooting a deer. You know, it's not every week. It's not maybe even every month, but it's part of the process of producing that food. And they're putting that venison in the freezer, you know, and they're, they're eating it. And even in our own garden, I started to realize, you know, the fertilizer we're using is, you know, from local farms and it's, you know, it's manure and it's coming from dairy production and egg production. And there's, Chunks of bone in it, you know? but
0: but <laughs> so still, to, it would be ethically. It still sounds better than the alternative of the factory-farmed cow pastures and all that. So I mean, a vegan would sure. still say, yeah, but I mean, we're still good off. It's right, right. still less impact than sure getting the you know ground beef at the grocery store.
2: Sure, it, it, at least if you're talking, you know, um, you know, if you're talking, you know, factory farming, you know, yeah. <clears throat> concentrated animal feeding operations and all that
0: for sure Uh, so so it softened the hard line for you is is basically what happened you just realized oh it's not a hard line issue that's exactly
2: right you know so it it took this very sort of black and white understanding um, and it introduced a lot of gray Mm -hmm. and you know it softened those hard edges I had very hard ethical edges you know Animal food, bad.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's easier. Plant food, good. It's, it's, it's uh, almost childish. I'm not saying vegans are childish, but yeah, yeah. it's it just is easier, black and white. And I don't want to go too aside here, but I come <laughs> from the Christianity tradition. And uh, a lot of people that are me and my age and the generation we're in, is the same situation. We're constantly now to a point of like, wait a second. These aren't hard. Like it was easier. And our parents and the youth group and all, you know, all the stuff was all this black and white stuff. And we know it. that isn't the case now because we're more mature. And so now there's all manner of ways to deal with it. And people that are in different places and leaving or post Christianity. And I'm sure right. it's that way with probably almost any issue. Once you really right. get into it and go far enough, you find the mm-hmm. edge and realize it's not a clear boundary anyway.
2: Yeah. it makes sense to me. And, and, you know, Reality is nuanced, you know, Mm -hmm. things are complicated and we're part of that complicated web of of life and questions and ethics and all this and so I was still vegetarian, you know, at that I was still vegan Mm -hmm. at that point It was just that I was starting to realize that there's some Soft and gray areas here, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not all black and white and hard Um, And Then A bit later, you know, a year or so later, um, my my doctor, who was a you know not a mainstream MD, you know, she she was actually a Buddhist naturopath, you know, someone who would be very into alternative stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she looked at my blood chemistry and some of the health issues that I was having, none of which were life-threatening at the time. But you know, my immune system was down and such, and she said, you know, you might want to think. You know rethink your diet a bit and introduce some some animal products back into it. Um, mm-hmm. and And so at that point, I decided that I would try that. You know, I would take that step. It felt very weird, you know, even to get local eggs or local chicken or you know, <clears throat> and first, it was just you know like the radical step of having a bowl of yogurt, yeah, <laughs> which after yeah. which after ten years is a big deal, big deal for that, yeah. You know, or having an egg. It it tastes strange. It's psychologically strange. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of that. Um, And so bit by bit, started to incorporate that. Being mindful of where that food was coming from, for sure. Uh, And not just going to the supermarket and buying a steak or anything like that. Uh, But started to have eggs, yogurt, some local chicken. And I started to think about going back to fishing. Because I'd done that, you Mm -hmm. know, as a kid. And I was thinking, okay, I'm eating other creatures now. I've gone back into actually directly consuming um, other living beings, and maybe I should, or at least want to, be directly involved. You know, like, come face to face with that.
0: Yeah. If you're going to be eating them, that, that's like that's what you're <clears throat> saying. It's not polar opposite to go that. It's actually <clears throat> uh, on the same plane to be mindful. And your book's a mindful carnivore, but that's that's right. the point is. Right. even to to, to to make yourself come face-to-face face with, with the life that you're consuming, whether it be plant or animal, at right. least is, is more mindful and probably closer to ethical in the long run, at least, something like that, right?
2: Yeah, and, and this is the, you know, I think this is where some hunters and some vegetarians have common ground, you know, one place they have, but they have other places of common ground, including environmental concerns and so forth, but around the ethics of, eating other living beings, um, not all vegetarians, but many vegetarians are concerned about those ethical issues Mm -hmm. and they're looking at what they're eating and they're making a decision, you know, not to eat meat or not to eat, you know, whatever class of, of foods, uh, based on that, you know, looking it in the face, you know, so to speak, you know, really looking. Yeah. Um, and for some hunters, uh, certainly including me and others I know, that is a substantial part of not all of but a substantial part of the decision to hunt or to get for me I went to fishing and then I started to explore hunting, which for all kinds of other reasons was uh, uncomfortable yeah <laughs> hunting is a different deal
0: mm-hmm. and
2: it's culturally a different deal, and it's
0: you know oh, I'm sure the way other quite tangibly
2: people... a different deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but um, it also involves looking directly you know you want to eat meat okay here's what it means here's what it means yeah
0: I like. here's the deal
2: (laughs) you don't get to look away you know and and this is part of the criticism that some vegetarian and vegans you know have have long made is that people don't think about what they're eating right you know yeah particularly meat in this case but I think it could go to almost anything you know Mm -hmm. where is it really coming from um, and if you're going to eat meat, you know, <clears throat> one approach is to really look at what that means, whether you're raising it yourself or mm-hmm. getting it from a farmer that you actually know and you can visit the farm or you're hunting or whatever. So having some kind of direct uh, engagement with it.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, I mean, for for me, veganism breaks down a little bit, like in what you're saying, because there is impact on, let's say, deer from farming. But why wouldn't you eat oysters or something? Like I, you know, I just, if if you wanted to mm-hmm. weigh the suffering of the sentient beings, then you'd be, and it's got to be healthier to have some shellfish and stuff. That stuff's great for you. So mm-hmm. eat some can. Mm-hmm. Be a vegan that eats cans of oysters. Or something and you would be better off, I think, and but it doesn't fit your fit a hard line you know kind of thing, but to really sure. deal with it, looking uh, you know taking an animal or killing one in the face has uh, got to be's got to be really something else and i've never i've not done that I did grow up mm-hmm. around a lot of hunters I have a lot of i've one of my best friends is a, is a hunter um and he's interesting because he grew up um Oh, you, you know, use the term "adult onset hunter," which I like. I think that's very. <laughs> yeah. that, I think that's clever. But he's he's the same way. He grew up same as me. Um, was in a band with me, and then left the band, became a therapist, and started working with the Native American tribes in the Northwest here. And then mm-hmm. through doing programs with them learned hunting and mm-hmm. and spent a bunch of time out there and it's like this it's just almost weird to watch his transformation and get into it and do the the some of the rituals and put mm-hmm. the the blood on your face on his first kill and eat the heart mm-hmm. and he's just mm-hmm. so into that stuff and it's and I have elk from him in my freezer and he gives me elk and stuff when he mm-hmm. when he gets it and it's, it's amazing and he sees it through the eyes and has learned it from the native culture in the northwest so it's been really interesting <coughs> that's what made me really interested in this topic
2: yeah and that's a it's fascinating to think, you know, about all of these issues, our relationships with nature, our relationship with food and diet, relationships with hunting in particular and animals, through different cultural lenses. Or at least try to try to listen closely enough to other cultures, whether it's, you know, traditional hunting cultures here in North America or or cultures elsewhere in the world. And try to wrap our minds around a completely different set of assumptions and mm-hmm. beliefs and relationships, you know, very different from what I grew up with, not in a hunting community, probably very different from what you grew up with in a mm-hmm. hunting community. You
0: know? What about the, like the tech angle? I mean, I don't know if you're very familiar with it, but the other thing that, that strikes me is it, it, it's an, it seems to me that there's a necessity for, some of these vitamins and proteins that that come from animals. It seems that way to me. It seems Mm -hmm. like that's the healthiest and it seems obvious evolutionarily in the way we're set up. And it just seems right to me to to consume meat. I do understand the ethical implications, but, and I know there's all manner of vegan and vegetarian, but what about the notion of tech solving it? Like would, what do you think about if we're growing meat in a lab? Wouldn't that Mm -hmm. be, wouldn't that end veganism? I mean, (coughs) For some. <laughs> like, would it would it impact you? Like, would you, for instance, yeah. now that you kill and take animals for sustenance, yeah. for your health, right. your doctor said it, and you realize that the boundaries are gray, but still you take very seriously killing an animal, sure. would, would you opt to stop hunting if you could buy meat that was, I don't know, $12 a pound, um, and it was grown in a lab? Would that Would that mean anything right. to you?
2: You know, I don't know. My hunch is that it wouldn't. At this point mm-hmm. maybe it would have years ago um, some of the other things that drew me to hunting other than you know the sort of ethical confrontation um, is that you know I have a very active relationship with the outdoors and I love to be you know out in the natural world and hunting was not a practice I had before and so I had never seen the landscape through a hunter's eyes. I'd never learned that, and the relationship that I've developed to the land is different—not better necessarily, but very different—and has more layers and and more awareness than I did when I was a, you know, a hiker and you know went paddling and you know would watch wildlife and and all, but but didn't pay attention to where deer were moving and so on. Um, so for me, the relationship with my food and the only red meat that like we ever have in the house is venison. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've gotten a deer, then we have venison in the freezer. And if I didn't, we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't go out and you know, go out and buy a steak if I didn't get a deer. Um, there's so many layers of relationship to the land, relationship to Particular places, and the relationship—I mean, I'll call it a relationship. Someone who's a strict vegan would say it's not a relationship. You're just a killer, you know? Yeah, right. right. Uh, which I understand. I get that. Uh, but when I take a piece of venison out of the freezer, you know, it's very tangible where that came from, mm-hmm. and. I can see the ethical argument for sure for sort of trading that and saying, okay, now it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't take an individual life um, because it's grown in a, you know, a lab, you know, <clears throat> it came in, out of a Petri dish. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that, but I'm a little uncomfortable, I guess, with our increasing dissociation and disconnection from the natural world. Oh, I see. And you know, nature involves life and death, you know, it it involves our own mortality too. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the funny things that I think we do is we have this notion of what a natural lifespan is for like our, for
0: ourselves. Right.
2: You know, we get to ideally we get to die of old age. Yeah, at 100. You know? The
0: day you turn 100 that, and you're right, healthy you know, until then. That uh, that's you know. natural. Yeah.
2: Right? But <clears throat> Getting, you know, attacked by a wild animal, that's a tragic death, right? And it doesn't happen much to us anymore, now and then. You know, someone gets killed Mm -hmm. by a grizzly bear or, you know, a cougar or something, but it's pretty rare. Um, And I think we've projected that onto animals. And so we talk about, well, this deer or this cow only got to live a quarter of its natural life. Well, who says a deer's natural life is like eight years or ten years? What what the way it really works is that most of them die when they're tiny, <laughs> you know, yeah, when they're fall. That's frogs. true. I mean, in
0: in the wild. Or get yeah, get eaten and stuff, or just most predators. Just ter- you know, I mean, they they die terrible deaths. I mean, I'm right? A lot of them do. I mean, and
2: and, and most of them not very old. You yeah. know, Really young. Yeah. The vast majority, and that's true of a lot of wild animals. Hmm. And, and so. I just think we sort of disconnect ourselves from life and death in so many ways. Um, And I think we sort of disorient ourselves to like how the world is. Um, So I I guess I, you know, it's it's a long roundabout way of saying that I'm a little leery of, that. So you're Given saying wh- further
0: disconnection from reality it has its own negative consequences, regardless of some of its certain parts I, of its I think it.
2: I think it yeah. does sort of, you know, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, our sort of understandings of the universe that we actually inhabit. Uh, and, you know, we live in a world that has a huge and growing, you know, population of humans Mm -hmm. and so you know it's not like six or eight or ten billion people are going to go out and hunt their own food
0: that's not possible (laughs) i guess i I mean is that is that like literally not possible anyway it's literally not possible you know we absolutely
2: depend on agriculture of many many kinds Mm -hmm. at this point to provide the vast majority of our food supply there just would be no way yeah and so when we're talking about people eating meat, which arguably as Americans, on average, we eat way too much, way more than we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if we scale way down from that to what you know much of the rest of the world eats, and we don't want to have factory farms and we have a growing human population, no. Well, Maybe tech has some solutions for that. Yeah, you're
0: right. There has to be something. You bring up a really interesting point in that last bit there about humans and their impact on the natural world and their connection and disconnection from it. I guess fundamentally, there's a big question that, uh, like you said, the deer get eaten and killed and all this, every other animal's killing each other. Yeah, we got guns and scopes and lasers and tree stands, but... uh, I mean, we're animals too. Are we not part of that? Is it not? Wouldn't ever, doesn't every animal do whatever it can to get whatever it can? And and where did we become different than that? Like, mm-hmm. why, want, why don't we do what we got to do for us? I mean, what's the difference in a human and the animals that prey on deer or other animals mm-hmm. and stuff like that?
2: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that raises a whole host of
0: issues, mm-hmm. right?
2: Uh, I mean, certainly the notion that we are part of nature and that we are also animals? Absolutely agree. Um, <clears throat> in terms of all the technologies we have to bring to bear, whether it's on hunting or, or other things, sh- should we bring them all to bear on hunting or extracting natural resources? Mm-hmm. Or You know, I, I don't think so. I think that there's a... <clears throat> There is a difference between, you know, being smart enough to make a given technology and uh-huh. then being wise enough to decide whether we should use it or how we should use it.
0: But it almost feels like a game, like like football. Like we have rules or, oh, that's not fair. Or, well, we're going to change the, where they <laughs> kick the extra point from now. Yeah, okay, that's not fair. You have a laser gun that can make the deer mm-hmm. drop dead, so we can't use that because it's not, you know, like that's, uh-huh. a, that's a weird concept that, like, what's the point? You know, if there was, I don't know. Like, it's and like we want to level I'd the playing field it. in a way. What's level playing field? Yeah, but is I mean, I guess I'm saying there's, is there the notion that you can get meat if it's fair, but the factory farming thing is so obnoxious, or maybe it's because it's profit-driven versus need-driven or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's something mm-hmm. to untangle there for sure. Sure. I mean, I think there are a few sort of classes of questions there.
2: Some of them are... are Ecological questions—you know, mm-hmm. what sort of impacts do we as humans, in terms of our population, our technology, our greed, whatever, mm-hmm. have on the natural world? And what are the implications of that? Whether we're talking climate change, yeah, you're right, uh, you know, global scale, or just locally on a, a given waterway—you know, are we polluting that river because we want to make this particular product, and we aren't smart enough to figure out a way, or don't aren't mm-hmm. careful enough to figure out a way to dispose of the waste better? I mean, so there's ecological questions about our impacts, which, you know, feedback and affect our health and the Mm -hmm. climate we live in and so on, as well as everything else on the planet. Excuse me. Um, And then there are other questions that are sort of, that are ethical or even aesthetic about how we do things, you know, Um, and that's a debate that's ongoing within the hunting community about as different technologies emerge, Mm -hmm. you know, should they be allowed (laughs) or, or even just existing technologies. Yeah. Um, you know, some people will, you know, argue, well, I don't want to hunt with a rifle with a scope on it because I can shoot at 300 yards. I want to hunt with, you know, a handmade longbow and I have to be 20 yards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all kinds of debates over that. I mean, in terms of emerging technology, I think there are places where we probably should not go for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, Ethical, aesthetic, uh, political, um, like these, you know, these smart rifles, which, you know, don't they have they have computers in them, and they make the decision for you. You tell you say, okay, that's the target, and it's like a guided missile practically. Yeah, because it it calculates everything and it decides when to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, some people could argue, well, that's going to make a cleaner, more certain kill.
0: Yeah, it's more Good humane. point. Great point.
2: Yeah, I guess you could argue that, but. When you start being able to shoot, you know, across the plains at
0: a thousand yards and more. I mean, but we didn't have <laughs> rifles that were accurate at all until like a century ago, you know. So I mean, it's like, it, why wouldn't you take the next step? Right, right. The argument can be made.
2: Um, the you know, in terms of like bows versus rifles, I think any of them can be done, can be used ethically.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It can kill an animal very quickly. It requires different levels of skill and there are different, you know, hunting with a bow, for instance, you know, arrow's slower than a bullet. Deer can move in that fraction of a second. Things can, you know, there's more variables. So personally, you know, I hunt generally with a rifle because I am more confident that I can very quickly and what I consider ethically Mm -hmm kill an animal in you know in a second or two um then if i was using a bow
0: because you'd feel horrible and, to get one in its hind leg and it runs off i mean and a, 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 with an arrow c- coming out exactly, of butt. I mean, exactly
2: but, I've, I've never done that and it's you know any ethical hunter that's their worst nightmare yeah, absolutely is that happening um <clears throat> or you know Either they get wounded and they recover, or they get wounded and they die really slowly. But
0: that's not the perception, though, from the general public about hunters. The general perception about hunters is well, that they just like killing to hurt animals. That's why they do it right. in the first place. So that would delight a hunter to wound an animal. They don't care about the animal. Right. That's what that's what right. a lot of people think about hunting. Sure. I mean,
2: the, the portrayals of hunting, whether it's in, you know, Disney— mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and Bambi and that whole effect, you know, or, you know, the portrayals of hunting by the hunting industry, you know, they don't show that they don't show people, you know, wounding an animal, just wound an animal, you know, I I don't think that they would ever show that, but it is very, you know, sort of macho and, you know, there's a lot of portrayals of hunting that, you know, are completely incomprehensible to non-hunters and even turn off a bunch of hunters.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what what fundamentally do you think is the difference in, <laughs> that, I'm not trying to get you with a crazy question, but there's a the holistic idea here that what you're saying is to hunt is good and it is helpful overall to connect people to their environment, the spiritual, the everything. And so uh, it, in, in total, it's a good thing and the hunt, you know, it all works together. But on the other hand, in the end, are we team human? And how much more value does a human life have than an animal life? Do you mm-hmm. have a, I mean, and if it came down to it, well, whatever, I mean, you'd turn on a technology that would, so the humans don't die or become extinct. What, how, how do you weigh human life versus a- animal life personally? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. do you, and a different scale of animals from bugs mm-hmm. to deer or whatever? Yeah. I mean,
2: there are number of ways to look at that. And you can look at it, at an individual level, you know, would you, you know, if you were driving down the road and there suddenly there was a person and a deer in the road and you couldn't stop, you yeah. had to hit one of them. Right. You'd hit the deer.
0: Yeah, you would hit the deer for
2: sure. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what you'd do. Sure. Um,
0: and we can say that about, you know, how, how would we. Would you hit, but would you hit, and then they have, there's the ethical thing about the cable car, the dilemma, where would you hit this group or that person or whatever, but how many, how many deer would you slaughter to save a a person?
2: Right. A thousand? A
0: thousand.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, we get these crazy kind of scenarios Mm -hmm. we can create, these hypotheticals. Um, But I think that it's one of the weird things about how we, think about animals, uh, in our culture is that we say, well, if you take an animal's life for food, it's because you value it less than a human life Mm -hmm. because you're not a cannibal. You wouldn't eat, you know, another person. Right. (laughs) Um, and so it's that you value them less and that's why you can do that. And there's you know speciesism and all of this, right? Speciesism. I like that. Less than you know, less than human. Therefore, Mm -hmm. we keep them. And I I get where that logic comes from, but I like to think about it a little more broadly and realize that in a lot of traditional hunting cultures the notion has been that other species are other kinds of people, you know, and the, the way they're addressed and understood is not as human exactly, but as kinds of people and as societies unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a fascinating film that <clears throat> touches on this, uh, that I saw a couple of years ago um, called Diet of Souls, as made by a guy up in the Arctic. And the basic premise is people in the Arctic, especially historically and traditionally, were hunting other animals, seals and, and so on, that they understood to be their spiritual equals—that
0: that those animals had souls, they would say—that
2: they had souls. W-
0: which my wife and thinks, they, and my dog has a soul, and we'll see him in heaven or something. Which I, right. you know, I don't agree, but then she's okay with you know eating meat from the grocery store, of course, you know. So right. that's that is okay, interesting, because yeah. you know the popular opinion means, is my pet has a soul, probably, but not mm-hmm. not the cow. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and I think that's that's problematic. You yeah. need to look a little more
2: a little more mm-hmm. deeper than that, and so you know if i have a spirit or a soul i mean i'm not a religious person mm-hmm. really but i have spiritual sensibilities and if i have a spirit and a soul i see no reason why the deer doesn't have a spirit and a soul right you know different from mine a different you know you know they are not as a population debating their impacts on their environment, you know, they're having probably less impact than we are. But, mm-hmm. You know, we can make choices as individually and collectively to restrain ourselves and yeah. certain impacts and so on. But at a basic level, in terms of life and consciousness, sure, I think they probably have a spirit soul that's not that different from mine. Um, so I don't value, I, I don't see them as or any animal as sort of a lesser being. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't think that the wolf sees the deer as a lesser being just because it eats it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I we're all in these especially animals, but humans if we if we actually recognize it and participate, we're part of this natural world and this web of relationships and I don't think that one is necessarily better than the mm-hmm. other, um, and yeah, it's it's fuzzy territory once yeah. you start to think about well, it. Are a personal perspective and cultural mm-hmm. prejudices
0: that we have, and it's weird because humans are so powerful. That's all there really is. It's like we have a ton of horsepower, but very little. Uh, you know, I mean, you're born with all this mental horsepower essentially and then you got to learn how to handle it both as an individual and as societies so i feel like we may have more ability and power than we can handle you know what i mean like th- that'd be the notion that we could blow ourselves up with technology we could create tomorrow which we, c- we could today so right we've been kind of lucky so far but in general it's just like you know a toddler blasting through some department store or candy shop or china shop or something like we just take what we you know we have more responsibility and we, we kind of lack the ability to organize it. and it seems that society is getting that very slowly but it's kind of a race mm-hmm. are we going to figure out how to mm-hmm. manage our environment or are we going to destroy it i don't know but we certainly have sure, the and capability and to do both accelerating with yep.
2: technology mm-hmm. as our technological capabilities increase as they have dramatically over the past couple hundred years you know we can have much bigger impacts in a much shorter period of time, um, but again, that if we make the cultural comparison, that notion that we can or should have or use that horsepower, mm-hmm. you know, of of whatever kind, mental, technological, mm-hmm. uh, or otherwise, is a very much a sort of you know humans at the pinnacle. Of creation, you know, sort of a uh-huh. whether whether you literally believe in you know, dominion over nature or mm-hmm. not, yep, it's still this notion one, yep. that, that humans are sort of the apex of creation.
0: Yeah, well, the, in the Christian tradition, that's for sure. They we go well. My Bible right. clearly tells us we have dominion over the animals, so fuck them. Right. <laughs> that's right. what, that's really what we think right. a lot of times, and it's e- right, right. it's just way simpler to think that way.
2: Right, and and yet in many you know traditional hunting cultures. The The notion is that, you know, when everything was created, you know, humans were sort of the one of the last things to come along and one of the most pitiful, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that we needed help. You know, we can't survive very well on our own without shelter and tools and, you know, animal skins or, you know... N- yeah. knowledge that we've learned our instincts for survival and our physical capabilities for survival as individuals are pretty pathetic, <laughs> yeah and that we've needed help and you know need to be educated by you know by the animals and so on. Um, so it's a very different frame to think about where are we in creation or in mm-hmm. relationship? And one way it's been phrased is that the West and Christianity. You know, sort of Christian culture Mm -hmm. in a broad sense, not necessarily the religion, but Western Judeo Christian culture, and particularly in the modern sense, has a strong focus on rights. You know, we have the Mm -hmm. right to do this, or, you know, human rights, or animal rights, or, you know, rights is a huge focus. And in a lot of traditional cultures, the focus is on responsibilities. What's our responsibility to our community? What's our responsibility to the animals, or to, you know, to our spiritual traditions, or whatever? Hmm. Uh, and it's a it's a very different lens, you know, that we as individuals or even as communities don't have rights; we have responsibilities, um, and that includes treating others with respect. Um, but it's not based on their rights; <laughs> hmm. it's our responsibility. Uh, it's just a different...
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and there's a different... Co- but to, to me, here's what I really think is there's a bit of a race. I mean, everybody talks about technology, and I do, I, predominantly. That's my, one of my favorite things. But the more I think about it, society is an evolving thing, too, that's growing and very, very interconnected with technology but separate. So the question is, I'll, I mean, what about this? What if we have a societal boom, not a technology boom, but what if it's either accompanied by or eclipsed by or in- enabled by technology? what if that we're just in the beginnings of the social media thing where we I can connect to you and we can do this podcast and talk about ethics and thousands of people hear it that we don 't know the ramifications of that we b- may be right. enabled by technology we're about to have a societal ethical boom where people will get out of those super immature thoughts of simple rights or this is mine or I don't care about this. Maybe we're all going to learn from each other in just a few decades here and we'll be so much more responsible than we've ever been. And maybe that will be the key to outpacing our, what I call, you know, overblown horsepower with you know, bad alignment is what I feel like we're, that's what it feels like we're at now, but maybe, maybe society, I am kind of optimistic because I feel like we're in the early times of the connectivity that we have. And so it's just a bunch of people with bad manners. We don't know how to handle it. Like we didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do with the electrical grid or the industrial, people were dying left and right. Nobody knew what was going to hurt the environment or not. We didn't know, but society Mm -hmm. itself is a fabric and a structure that I believe always gets better. And I know there's big problems with Western society and big problems with any society, but I mean, it's not like, I mean, all societies are criticizable. If you think about a Native American, um, well, it seems really great that they used everything and and did a bunch of stuff, but they had they had their problems. They had wars and violence sure. and you know tribal sure. stuff that we think is bad technically and. And then apart from a society, if you took a Native American person and raised them in some other society, they wouldn't they wouldn't have the values and ethics that their the Native American culture did have. Sure. It's 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 cultural. It's scaffolding that we're continually making. So,
2: I mean, they manipulated their environment in various ways to Mm -hmm. have certain effects,
0: you know, but. So it's getting the societal scaffolding to to the right level to handle the power we have is the race, the way I look at it. And so I I am mm -hmm. optimistic about that. I really am. But.
2: there's a lot of concern mm-hmm. among you know, like uh, you've probably read or seen about sort of the you know Richard Louvre's work, The Last Child in the Woods, um, you know, <clears throat> the New Nature movement, all this sort of the argument that humans really need consistent interaction with the natural world, mm-hmm. and that being indoors all the time and mm-hmm. in front of screens all the time is having profound negative impacts on our mental, spiritual, emotional health and physical too.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
2: Uh, I, I, and technology is becoming so, you know, pervasive in our
0: lives. I, I think that that is probably true. Like, there, no matter what, our uh, the way I look at things progressive-wise, the same way I talk about scaffolding in society, our brains are that way. Our brains are built from a primal brain and the limbic system and the, the lower brains that the, we share with reptiles all the way up to our prefrontal cortex and all that stuff. So, I mean, we have all this. We're I mean, we're wired a certain way, and so there's no getting around it. Like it's it's bit on bit. So there's things, and probably things that are with nature and sitting around fires and connecting with people in small communities, and the things that, that there's no getting around that stuff. So it could be simulated. Maybe it could be simulated. Maybe not. But there's no getting around the fact that we're our brains are going to be wired for it regardless. So can we simulate things to offset that if, if we can understand them? But we don't know. Like mm-hmm. we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know all the stuff that we're wired for. We don't fundamentally know if we need to. Yeah. Uh, we don't really know. But theoretically, sure. there there could be technological ways yeah. around them if we simply knew what they mm-hmm. were. But in general, we keep advancing and alienating ourselves from our historic past, and that does does cause problems for sure.
2: Yeah, and. Part of it, you know, is just our interaction with nature and how that nourishes us and, you know, stimulates us Mm -hmm. and so on. Um, But when we get back to questions like food or or anything else, any other material of our lives, be it, you know, food or the table in front of you or the computer in front of me or Mm -hmm. um, the clothing we're wearing, um, and, and... our sense of where those things come from, our sense of
1: mm-hmm.
2: how that is tied to the world that we actually inhabit, you know the natural world and the industrial world, um, that's something that for me and is at the core of the notion of mindfulness. You mm-hmm. know, really looking at a piece of food, a piece of paper, anything thing that we use or depend on or consume and having some sense of where that comes from some sense of what the you know how good or bad its production was you know ecologically ethically
1: Mm
2: -hmm. you know and in large part um most of us or many of us are very disconnected <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely it was all and of course in, it's wise to be where that comes from yeah of course it'd be wise to spend 20 percent of your time in the woods if you had that luxury or or i won't even use the word privilege but if you can do that mm-hmm. of course that's a, a, a wise idea for sure, sure. the, the but print, but even, go ahead but even just materially like you mm-hmm. know the, the whether it's the you know
2: the food that you get from the grocery store or, or anything else where does it come from and what are the implications? What happened in that chain of, you know, and that's why a lot of people have been, you know, for for good or ill, focused on the food movement, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's something very tangible and you can make choices about, you you may have limited choices about, you know, what your house is constructed out of and so on, but you can choose what you eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so whether it's a choice to be vegetarian or a choice to start a garden mm-hmm. or, you know, join a CSA or learn to hunt or whatever it is, there's a way to get back in touch very directly yep. with where those things come from and know very specifically, oh, you know, these vegetables came from that plot of land right there. Yep.
0: <laughs> but I mean, that is a big movement. I mean, you, I mean it, it really is. Like, you, you see it now, like, even just in, like, we're aware of our stuff that's made from sweatshops overseas. I mean, people care about the goods they buy more than they ever have. And I can only, you know, at least paradoxically, you can only tie that to the rise of the communication and the information that you understand where some stuff came from. And there's movements and people that care. Like it, it, it's it's inextricably tied that the sharing of the information of how to un- understand your ethically sourced cotton or whatever. I mean, that, that sure. partly comes from technology. So it's just, Of yeah. course,
2: you know, you go back in history not very far, and we just, we just didn't have things k- coming through global markets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, you didn't take a lot of – a lot of stuff was very local, and other stuff was coming from, you know, hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there was international trade, but uh, most of our goods were a little simpler to, you know, to figure out the sources of
0: than they are now. The ideal situation, so the way I describe what I think is most important, not at the expense of other stuff, but I think human flourishing is a, is a term that I, I like. I, I think that's that makes the most sense to me. So if that means don't destroy the climate, great. If it means don't factory farm, great. I think that will be good for us, too. So what I'm hopeful mm-hmm. for is all of the things that you're talking about, being mindful how we eat and live and interface with technology, hopefully those things all are for the benefit of our human race. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. in they might be, it might be simpler than we think once we understand it more. Verse, you know what I mean. I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. That's my hope, at least. I yeah. hope it doesn't come <laughs> to us versus nature as a species. Sure, yeah. You know. Yeah. So the last thing I want to ask you, and we got to go here in a second, but. It doesn't seem like you're advocating, or it's feasible at all, for everybody to hunt. What do do you have any prescriptive things that you advocate for for a regular person, a middle income person, or poor people, or whatever mm-hmm. city people? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. do what do you advocate for people to so, do? Yeah, I, mean, I, I can't go hunting in Vermont all the time. I don't have that. Right.
2: <clears throat> I mean, I mean, I don't really spend a lot of time trying to prescribe you know Mm -hmm. for diet or or anything else i mean i think that having a sense of connection with the earth Mm -hmm. is a healthy thing Mm -hmm. i think it's healthy for the earth i think it's healthy for the individual i think it's healthy for society so whether it's you know you know planting just a couple things in a pot in your kitchen you know or Mm -hmm. you know having you know participating in a community garden in the you know urban setting or any connection with the earth food is good you know food is a way to do that but it's not the only one uh, I mean that's the only that's about as far as I go you know in terms of prescription for behavior is you know if you're not if you don't feel connected to the earth at all find a way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and the other, which we haven't really talked about Uh, much at all is whether it's vegetarians and hunters or any other sort of difference of practice or difference of viewpoint I think there's a huge amount of value in learning to listen to each other and find common ground understand instead Mm -hmm. of just saying oh they're all like that you know all those people who you know that way or voted that way or whatever Mm -hmm. you know instead of just categorizing them and writing them off you know you're probably wrong
0: yeah well for (laughs) sure yeah and the political climate we're in especially
2: there's an amazing amount of common ground that we can find if we listen for it and look for it and I think that's you know that makes for healthier communities that makes Mm -hmm. for a healthier society if we actually try to understand each other a bit
0: well Tovar, I really like your point of view on that and I You know, as we get to the end of it here, I love leaving people with that, that thought, you know, that's really, really, it's really is something to think about. And it's weird how your point of view is very, I'm not saying it's soft, but it's, it's, it's nuanced to such a degree that it's not prescriptive. Like you, like maybe Mm -hmm. you just said there, I think that we could certainly use a dose of that across the board and I think just just mindfulness in itself Mindful Carnivore is your book but just the whole thing of mindfulness is like something that's kind of almost new to me in my late 30s I just plowed through the first half of life just thinking I almost knew everything and now it's like well (laughs) shit I'm going the opposite direction now but I had to take responsibility for for my thoughts and my actions and what what they're going to do so I I think that's real interesting I think people will like to follow you further you can go to tovarceruli.com his book is the mindful carnivore and uh you know i don't know if you got anything else going on you want to tell people about but i really appreciate your time tonight oh it's been great i appreciate it cool thank you Thanks, Thanks. Out. you've been listening to the jabberjaw podcast network jabberjawmedia.com